Hi all, welcome back to Pyramid Podcast with me, Alex Murphy, uh, also known as Murph, joined once again by Lauro and Tomo. Uh, today going to cover a bit on Mbappe and Saudi Arabia, uh, talk a bit about Jordan Henderson uh, and his Liverpool legacy, news on David Silva's retirement and where he ranks in Premier League midfield legends, uh, go into some pre-season results uh, for in Prem teams and then we're going to finish with our Premier League preview with our predictions so boys straight into it uh, Mbappe sounds like Saudi Arabia sent a delegation over to speak to him uh, and to discuss whether he'd be willing to to discuss options on a 700 mil one-year contract what's your thoughts on that? Um, well just speaking to Seattle actually or Loro just off air just then and it's actually quite refreshing to hear that someone's rejected the money and and someone obviously as big as Mbappe, 700 million for the one season, which would also allow him to join Real Madrid next season. Even though it, it was kind of sickening, the numbers involved, it actually kind of made sense in terms of PSG want to get a fee, Saudi want to get a big name over there and Mbappe. Um, but obviously it doesn't make sense for, and obviously Mbappe makes loads of money, but, but it doesn't make sense for him. He doesn't, he wants to win the Champions League. Um, and also I think what Ornstein has reported today, and it's been reported many times that basically PSG and all of the top European clubs think that Mbappe's got sort of a, almost like a pre-contract agreement with Real Madrid for next season, in 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 which case Real Madrid would pay him like maybe a hundred million euros signing on bonus. So so yeah, it, I, I find I think it is a good thing that he's rejected Saudi because it was it's kind of getting a bit depressing how many players are going over there. Um what's he said what's he actually said? about reject it is he come back and said i've rejected it because i don't want to play in saudi arabia or is it no a billion's not enough yeah no so obviously with like with all of these things he's not officially come out and said anything but his people have briefed a brief the journalists and basically said he's not considering playing in saudi arabia from what i gather if you read between the lines is basically that's beneath him now he's 24 he's in his peak he wants yeah. to play top European football. I'm sure if he was 30, 30, between 30 and 33, and he was the best player in the world, he'd probably consider it. But he's he's one of the richest athletes in 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 history right now. So although we spoke about it last week, didn't we? I think is it was he gonna risk his legacy and what he wants to do in football by going over to Saudi Arabia? at the peak of his powers, or maybe not even there yet. I think he's, what, 24 um, for money. And thankfully, it seems like he said no. But it would be funny to see what happens if they go back with two billion um, and see if Killian is still of the same mindset. Yeah, well, actually, <laughs> so, reject them. yeah so actually last night, in the sort of same breath as the Mbappe rejecting Saudi news, came the news that they were in advanced discussions with PSG to sign Verratti, who is, I believe, 30 years old. Um, bit of a bad egg by all accounts. Um, likes to likes to smoke, likes to party. Um, basically sort of a, a symbol of that PSG dressing room for the last sort of, well, how long? Maybe 10 years. Um, so he'd be an, in, I think he'd be a, a great signer for Saudi. He's obviously a good player and he seems like a type of bloke who loves sort of semi-retirement football. So yeah. he, he would do well over there. And, it's, and it's, he's a big name, it's a big name signing. For Verratti's one who seems to have been always held in like world-class bracket and like absolute like Rolls-Royce of a player and linked with the Prem and linked with Madrid Barca at different times. But his career might go down as PSG Saudi, really. And I know he probably had clubs before then, but he seems to just be, I guess he can, you could say he's financially driven because for someone who is respected so much in midfield, I don't think that that really is too much of a legacy. Yeah, I agree. That I do think I have a sort of 
a negative bias towards people who stay in league uh, all their career. Like yeah. it, it is a step below La Liga, Serie A. Well, yeah, La Liga, Serie A, and the Prem. Um, even the Bundesliga, I would say. How long's um, Verratti been at PSG? Since he since he was like twenty, he he was at Palermo, wasn't he? So he's basically been yeah. there his whole career or his whole sort of established career. I think if you ask Verratti, he's probably he'd probably say, I've played at PSG all my career. I've played loads of Champions League football. He's won the Euros, hasn't he, with Italy Yeah, last year or a couple yeah. of years ago. And like you said, he's 30. He's in that bracket like we spoke about last, last time where he's a big enough name for Saudi to bring to the league where he's going to raise eyebrows and maybe attract other people. But he's probably at a point in his career where he thinks, I'm happy to go and take the money now. Yeah, and I know I know there's probably not too much of a a, a contrast at all between the Prem and uh and League One, but we'll obviously go on to Jordan Henderson, probably similar similar ages, similar um sort of profile of player. Verratti, his career is 276 games for PSG, uh one Euro 2020. Um within league one the league one two three about ten times the cup six times uh, yeah, the league cup six times that's all well and good and that is all well and good and that is obviously I'm not saying he's had a, a bad career or anything he's had a he's had a great career I'm just saying like you said before that he he's sort of always been up there and sort of classed as a world class midfielder I don't I don't class him at like in the sort of upper echelons of midfielders like your sort of Perlo, Javi, Skulls sort of. Oh top. no, he's, he's definitely a level below that, isn't he? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. And I don't, I don't think that I'm not saying that those trophies buy him a legacy, but at the same time, he personally, with the opportunities that he has had to move to other clubs, is probably very happy with his career, international honor, multiple, multiple league trophies. We spoke a little bit, didn't we, about Harry Kane going to PSG or Bayern to pick up a couple to then say he's won some stuff. In modern day kind of Twitter world, you're judged on stats and trophies. I'd imagine he's fairly happy uh, for yeah, these, with that decision. Yeah, these, these guys are all, I'm, I'm sure Verratti's sat in his mansion having a smoke on a Sunday afternoon after just beating like Lorient, like 4-0. <laughs> just like... Apologies, just, Lorient. Yeah, but yeah. Having a pint, having a pint or a gin and tonic with Neymar, and just thinking this life is easy. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I just wonder whether he's waiting to listen to episode three of Pyramid Podcast to get their seal of approval before uh, jumping ship. Uh, so yeah, don't let us sway your decision, Marco. Uh, right, boys, we obviously spoke about Mbappe quite a lot last time, but um, just a question I'll post you both on it obviously he seems to be in this stalemate with uh, waiting for Real Madrid next year uh, PSG want to sell if you were Real Madrid would you test the waters to get him over this year lost Benzema uh, last year um, Mbappe obviously best player in the world potential while he still hasn't signed for anything to happen like the Saudi move and we obviously discussed um, other options for that last week would you put some money, if you're getting him on a free next year, would you put some money down now in the hope that that means that you could challenge Barca for, uh, um, sorry, the La Liga and then challenge again for Champs League, which obviously they uh, didn't win last year? Well, so, I mean, like I said, to be honest, yeah, yeah, on paper they're getting him for free in 2024, but they they've probably agreed a massive signing on bonus. So if you're Mbappe, you're probably thinking, yeah, I'm I'm happy to take to wait and take that money. Um if you're Real Madrid, if you're paying him a hundred million anyway, and then his 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 parents who are his agents 20, 30 million, you might as well just pay that to PSG and and get him get him a year earlier. But Florentino Perez he's it's like a game of it's a big game of chicken, really, and he's he's just gonna wait. He's he's got all the cards, really, because you can just sit there and wait and get him for free for a year, get in, in get him for free in a year. So but if if I was Real Madrid, I'd be hundred percent getting him. He's like I said last week, he's the best player in the world right now. Um I'm sure if Real Madrid thought that was on the cards though, 
it's a no-brainer, isn't it? They would be going in for him, but surely conversations to a certain degree have been had and the cards have fell in a way where they've said that we'll we'll take him next year and it's not worth trying anything this year. Because obviously, otherwise, like you say, you would test the waters, wouldn't you? I'm sure behind closed doors they have. I'm sure they'd want him this year. But in terms of challenging Barcelona, where would you challenge every year anyway, don't they? I, I wouldn't have thought. I mean, they'd love Mbappé, but I'm sure they're going to be up there in La Liga and they'll probably be at the latter stages of the Champions League like they always seem to be. So, but I, yes, I think it would make sense for them to get him now, but they, there must have been conversations to that effect that have turned out whereby everyone has just said, no, we'll leave it till next year. Yeah, and I I, that's, I get that. I definitely feel like that's what it seems like at the minute, but we forget that it's, it's July 27th. Mm. Like the window shuts at September 1st. Um I think I think Real Madrid will come in later and on the window. At the minute, there's sort of no rush, is there? And and no. all, all the bad press is is happening. Like PSG look bad because they haven't got like because they they've not taken Mbappe on their tour. Mbappe looks bad because well, does Mbappe look bad? I'm not really sure to be honest. He he just wants to see out his contract. Real he- Madrid. Uh, PSG look basically a bit am- like amateur hour, I would say. Um, I think there's been a few instances where players get down to one year on their contract and they decide that they're not going to make a move. They run down their contract because then their agent says to the club, so in this case, Real Madrid, you're not paying any transfer fee for Mbappe. So that comes through as an agent's fee and a signing on fee. So it's probably a bit on Mbappe as well, thinking I'm I'm quite content for this year and the, the I get the almost the transfer money in my signing on fee. So yeah, that's yeah. a good point. That's a good point. He, he what he gets personally might change if they have to pay PSG for him this year. Yeah. So, so I, think, I think I think you're right. Interesting one though. We will keep uh keep abreast with that one and see where where he ends up. Um from one of the best players, if not the best player in the world to Saudi Arabia to another, uh Jordan Henderson has joined uh, joined up with Steven Gerrard. I see he's been given the number 10 shirt. Uh, question for you boys, A, on that move for him um, and, and what that does for his England career as well. I believe he's had a conversation with uh, Gareth Southgate, made his intent clear that he still wants to be involved in England camps and wants to go to upcoming tournaments. So also touch on what your thoughts are on, on what that does for his chances of the squad. Yeah, well, he can have a conversation with Gareth Southgate, but I can't imagine that Gareth Southgate has ever had to watch the Saudi Arabian Premier League before um, in order to see what his players are playing like. And I I, I would think that unless there's an awful lot more that happens between now and the transfer window, whereby that league becomes something anywhere near what the European leagues are, um, Jordan Henderson's going to be playing at a level that is nowhere near good enough to then at the end of the season play for England in a major tournament. Um, the only way I would see him going is in like a, like no disrespect, like a Conor Cody capacity at the last couple of tournaments, whereby it's good for the dressing room and the experience and that sort of thing. Um, but I can't imagine Gareth Southgate's in any position now to say, yeah, you're still in my plans because he'll have to see how it unfolds in Saudi, won't he? And if he's been given the number 10 shirt, is he going over there thinking, well, I might... I might change my position now. Over there, the league's so much poorer. I can play in the hole and just do what I want. And then suddenly, again, next summer, he's not been playing in the position that Gareth Southgate would want him anyway. So I really don't see Jordan Henson playing any part in the Euros next year, that's for sure. Unless it's just, you know, as a glorified cheerleader. Yeah, so so I would say with, with the Jordan Henson Saudi move, there's two main points, basically. His form doesn't matter now because whatever he does in the Saudi league does not matter, does not correspond to Premier League players or anything like that. So if he does get picked for England, it will be purely based on what he's done in the past for England, what he's like as a character. Um, maybe a slight sort of positive that people don't think about about when you, when you join the Saudi Pro League, I, I guess, is Henderson, he's a bit injury prone. He's 33. He'll be he'll be now playing in a league that's not as intense as the Premier League, not as demanding. So actually, when it comes to playing for England for those 
two or three games at a time. He might he might be like fit fit as fuck basically. Um, yeah, but that could also translate in being miles off the pace. Yeah, but that which yeah, I that, think is the worry. Yeah, I agree. I I don't I I agree with you, Laura. To be fair, I don't think he'll he'll be picked unless we have some sort of like injury crisis because you'll have. Connor Gallagher perhaps going to West Ham and and or or or, or maybe Spurs and getting a, a starting spot. Jude Bellingham obviously, Phil Foden potentially playing in the, in essential areas. Um, obviously Declan Rice at, at Arsenal now. There's just there's just loads of options that. Well, and Ruben Loftus Cheeks, another one who's who's just gone to AC Milan. Who if he keeps fit and plays for AC Milan, and then he's one who perhaps at Chelsea wasn't sort of considered that much for England and potentially would be above Henderson. Yeah, I mean, we you, you say lots of options. Uh the World Cup squad 2022, the midfielders, and if we if we think 4-2-3-1 with Henderson playing in one of those two, then you've got Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham completely get they start. I know Bellingham did play a little bit further forward at other times. Those forward kind of midfield roles were I think uh, Grealish obviously played there on the wing. You had James Madison, you have Phil Foden, um, you, you have Mason Mount as well who can play there. In those two holders, I think Rice, Bellingham, Calvin Phillips, Conor Gallagher, you're then not too far away from Jordan Henderson. There aren't too many others that have been in England squads. There might be people who have great seasons that we don't know about yet, but I don't think in those two positions we're blessed where he's he's not going to be in contention for it. No, but we'll only take three or four, won't we, in those positions. And like you say, Rice and Bellingham, unless there's injuries, Rice and Bellingham are obviously two of the first names on the team sheet. Um, Connor Gallagher, like you say, if he gets a move, he's in line to hopefully have a more progressive season. And, and he loves Calvin Phillips. He, played, he took Calvin Phillips even when he hadn't kicked the ball, basically, for six months. Um, or even longer, so I think you've I think you've just said it. I think those four would be the ones that would probably go at the moment. Maybe someone comes out of the blocks and has a really good season and impresses this year. But um, yeah, like I said, I just in my mind that's it for Henderson's England career, major tournaments anyway. So so obviously we'll go from Henderson's England career to his Liverpool career, and I, I wanted to ask you boys a question because I asked this of the Football Tweet followers last night and got quite a few pelters for it. So maybe we'll see if you give me some pelters for it. Basically, I asked a simple question. Who was the better Liverpool captain, Steven Gerrard or Jordan Henderson? I didn't ask who was the better player because we all know that Steven Gerrard is miles better than Jordan Henderson as a player. But who was the better captain considering Jordan Henderson has basically lifted the trophy, lifted the Premier League trophy, lifted the Champions League trophy, FA Cup, League Cup. Um, did they win the Super Cup? I think they did, didn't they? The the Club World Cup as well. Um, okay. I guess I'll, I'll I'll come in now. So Gerard uh, won Champs League. So what the question is, the crux of the question is, does by winning the Premier League make Jordan Henderson a better Liverpool captain than Steven Gerrard? Yeah, that kind of ball. That's kind of what it boils down to, I guess. Because, yeah, because Gerard won won the FA Cup, didn't he? He won the League Cup, and he won the UEFA Cup. I don't know if he was the the captain at that time. Um, go on, uh, go on, I, go on. Answer the question then. I, I, no, no. Jordan Henderson isn't a better Liverpool captain. Like he might be slightly more decorated if you include the Premier League trophy. He probably is, but. Um, I think you got deserved pelters on football tweet for that one, Tiga. <laughs> yes. But it's like when you ask like those type of questions on Twitter, it's like people because obviously I think that Stephen Gerrard was the better captain as well, but but you just ask these questions on Twitter because you obviously hope to get engagement, hope to get. But people basically think just because I've asked that question, I must think Henderson is the better captain. Don't you think? Well, there must have been a part of you that thought. That it was close. Well, I thought I thought it was a good debate to have, considering the Premier League shout, basically. Yeah, we all make mistakes. I think, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I, look, I, what was the um, was it a poll? No, it wasn't a poll, but 
If it was, it would have been a landslide. Uh, yeah, like ninety ten to Stevie yeah. G. Yeah, yeah I, I just think, just, I think Jordan uh, Henderson's come across a <laughs> a difficult obstacle there, hasn't he? In um, Stephen Gerrard, I don't think I can't make an argument at all because he was the and it's not even like he was as good as Gerrard was in that season when they won the Premier League, and he's the reason why they won it. Do you know what I mean? It's just he was in an amazing Liverpool team um, with an amazing manager, and he found himself the captain. Yeah. Um, all right. Okay. <laughs> moving on then. Moving on. Um, before I cry myself to sleep. So from one Premier League legend, Stephen Gerrard, to another, an underrated Premier League legend in David Silva. He's retired today because he's um, he suffered an ACL injury in pre-season with Real Sociedad. Um, and I think we can all agree he would, would go down as one of the all-time best Premier League midfielders. I would say easily top 10. Um, I won't rank them now, but he he's got to be up there with like your skulls, Lampard and Gerrard. Like yeah, he was, he was someone who, when when City signed him, uh, started playing, and and as United fans, you you were desperately unhappy that they'd got their hands on him. He was unreal. I think you know one particular moment in the Manchester derby is through ball to Jeco. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sticks in my mind, and also uh, my dad, obviously being a, a a big Man City fan, uh, he's managed to make it as one of the uh, the animals' names as well. Uh, my sister's horse is called Silver, uh, and they've had got dogs called Vinny and Aguero. So illustrious company there uh, for it. No, yeah, yeah, no, there hasn't. Like, do you know what? Actually, the um, Vinny. The the young younger dog that they've got was going to be called Jair, but uh, yeah, company got the nod uh, with that one. But yeah, so Vinny, but um, yeah, Premier League legend. I would say I've, you said underrated, Tomo, which sounds ridiculous actually um, to when when you first said it, but it's probably not too far away from from being correct. I think when people do their all time Prem eleven, they're almost like midfield three. Uh, Straight away, people start having the discussion of who to include out of Gerard Scholes, Lampard. Uh, he's probably yeah. decorated as much well, as uh, so. All yeah, of them. I agree. The biggest compliment I could give um, David Silva would be obviously as a United fan watching him, he was the most frustrating opponent to watch because you just knew every time he got the ball, he just wouldn't he wouldn't give it away. It just stuck to him like glue, like it could be absolutely rattled into him with like three or four midfielders around him and he would just wriggle around or like flick it around the corner or do, or do something. Honestly, he was just, he, I just wish he was a Man United player basically because it's just so pain. It was so painful to watch him and he, he often played so well against United. So yeah, he was great. I think you're right when you said top 10. Um I don't know. Maybe I'm underrating him, but I just when I think of the best, like you just said, when you think of like he, he wouldn't be. I don't think he'd be in loads and loads of Premier League 11s. Like I think there's a little cluster that are just ahead of him in terms of maybe the top five and six, and he just comes in just underneath that. And just like you just said, Murph, I, I'm not sure why I think that, but when I think of Lampard, Gerrard, Scholes, KDB, and even Yaya Toure on his day. Um, I just slot silver in just under that, which is, which isn't anything to be um, embarrassed about, is it? But yeah, I don't really have a reason. I I don't know. Maybe it's just the type of footballer that you like to. I like big, powerful midfielders that score loads of goals, and he was more of a a technician, artist type of player, wasn't he? That was very, very good. But I think you're right when you say top ten, um, just below the very, very best I'll, um... in the Premier League. I'll pose a question to you boys then. And I get that that caveat there about the Premier League. So let me let me uh, go through his honours as well before uh, before we say this. But the question is, Silva or De Bruyne? And let me just run through Silva's major honours for you. So four Premier League titles, two FA Cups, five uh, League Cups. Uh, Real Sociedad won the Copa del Rey. He'd won the Copa del Rey at Valencia before. Spain, World Cup, two Euros. I didn't actually realise that he was such a key part in those either. Played in midfield with Xavi and Iniesta for those three tournaments. 
Um, he's got individual honours. I know KDB has most of that, minus the uh, the international accolades, but does have the Champs League. Any argument there for either of you for that question? So if we were going by who's won the most major honours and who, like in obviously international terms as well with the World Cup and the and the Euros, then obviously, yeah, David Silva. But if we're going by who's the better footballer, then for me, it's De Bruyne. Just, but they they are different in their own way. Like De Bruyne is more, um, sort of powerful, more more like his assist his assistings probably at a better rate, and his goals are probably more spectacular. Um, and so is so is his crossing, I would say, but. David Silva and David Silva controls controls games and sort of like tinkers around with it and he he's he's very intricate. But yeah, I'll I'd go that De Bruyne. I don't know about yeah, you. Yeah, that's what that's what I was just saying about when you think of the top midfielders. I just think you think of those big powerful players that score loads of goals, get loads of assists, and take all the plaudits. And maybe that's unfair on David Silva, but I, I'd be in the same boat. I'd if I could have one of them, I'd have Kevin De Bruyne, and I'd rate him higher in terms of a Premier League player. In terms of what they've won, that's just fact, isn't it? There's there's no debate to be had there. Whoever's won more is won more. That's fine. Um, but yeah, De Bruyne for me. Yeah, well, I do agree as well. So for for what it's worth, so yeah, David, if you're listening, enjoy your retirement. Welcome stupid question. Time. Stupid question. Getting pelters. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome on any time. Right. Uh, bit, on pre- <laughs> bit on pre-season, guys. So uh, last night, some action uh, over in America. So uh, Arsenal played Barcelona. Uh, high-scoring game. Arsenal won 5-3. Saka missed a terrible penalty. Uh, Who did? Saka. Did he? Yeah. Sad to see. Yeah. Obviously was on a good run since the uh the miss for England. I think he then missed one late on in the Prem actually, uh, and has missed again. So might be time for Odegaard on uh on pens for them. But uh what was interesting from that wasn't the score line, uh it was Xavi's comments afterwards. Uh Xavi, I think, said that uh they were playing their first preseason game and Arsenal were playing their Champs League final. Uh, which poses an interesting question uh, about pre-season and the intensity uh, that goes into it. So uh, as fans, do you pay much attention to your uh, team's results, their performance, uh, the players that are playing, who's getting minutes? What what do you sort of look out for? So if I just quick, quickly jump in, this is like, so pre-season is like, you know, when you're, when you get dumped as a kid at school and no. um <laughs> no, never got dumped. Never had a girlfriend. Yeah, and basically, basically, if she dumps you, you you tell the boys that um yeah we come to like a like an agreement that we like s- separated together. Um, basically, my point being is if you win a game in preseason, you say it's the most important thing in the world. It's great. If you lose, you say it doesn't matter, and it's just about fitness. And if you draw. It doesn't it doesn't matter. I would say the only thing that matters is not getting any long term injuries, getting your fitness up, and being raring to go for the for the prep first game of the Premier League season. Yeah, that's I the- think that's key about the injuries. Like it's all very well you want to win the preseason games, of course you do. And as a fan, I know watching Yeovil preseasons, albeit at a slightly lower level than what we're talking about here, I want us to win and I want us to do well. But I also don't want any injuries. And I know I've listened to the managers, a lot of managers' comments. It's a preseason is about getting as fit as you can, ready for the start of the season without losing your best players and starting the season handicapped. So um, I think it's difficult because different managers will probably do things in different ways and probably put more importance on it than maybe others do. But just quickly, I, what did Xavi say? Um, do you say he got salty after the game? Yeah, yeah he, so, go on, Murph. He said that for them, they were playing their first pre-season uh, and for Arsenal, it was like their Champions League final, which I guess was based on their intensity. I think they kind of celebrated goals, uh, some of the ta- challenges that were going in, that sort of thing. See, if I was a Barcelona fan, I'd absolutely love that because obviously Xavi is a young up-and-coming manager. Look at all the best managers in the world, or a lot of the best managers in the world. They're awful losers, aren't they? Like Jurgen Klopp, biggest moaner out there. Pep, in a different kind of way. If he loses 1-0 at home to Palace, 
he'll go and speak to Jeff Shreves and say, no, that's the best I've ever seen my team play and just completely repel the thought that he's just had a bad game. So I think to lose a pre-season friendly and get that, you can tell that sort of comment, like you say, it's salty, he's annoyed. To have that in a pre-season friendly, I think bodes really well for his mindset as a manager. I'm not saying he's going to go on a B-Klopp or Pep, but I mean, he is already Barcelona manager and I, I think that's a good sign personally. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. And then on the uh, on the note of uh, pre-season results and, and not caring, uh, <laughs> next, uh, United played uh, Real Madrid uh, last night, 2-0. Uh, Jude Bellingham scored, which is a England fan with England hat on, is great because I think we're all agreed that he takes us to the Euros uh, next summer. Um, and then I think... Hosselu, who was once at Newcastle, scored a acrobatic uh, overhead kick late in the game, albeit a lot of changes and substitutes on the uh, on the pitch. But uh, yeah, Jude, Belling Jude Bellingham got man of the match, scored, ran the show, had a run in with Martinez as well. Uh, I think Martinez put in a, a pretty awful challenge on Bellingham and Bellingham uh, reacted badly and uh, Mason Mount was getting involved in and Martinez seemed to be... Uh, just on, um, on Jocelyn's... Just on Jocelyn's goal, so the the Man United um, Man U TV basically he he missed the chance sort of before that goal, and Man U TV the commentator said that that was the reason why he's only only scored like four goals in forty games for Stoke, <laughs> and then and then obviously went went down had another chance and I mean it was a great goal. Um, and he's obviously done well since leaving Stoke. It's a bit like the Chupo Moting thing, isn't it, really? Um, we all think that just playing for Stoke means you're shit, but <laughs> apologies yeah. to Stoke. Apologies to Stoke fans. <laughs> Sorry, Stoke. Potters. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then I think what was probably most interesting for United fans out of uh, out of last night was uh, Onana's debut. So uh, I didn't watch the game last night with the time it was on. I woke up this morning... Uh, jumped on Twitter to to get fan reaction and it seemed to be full of Chelsea fans calling uh, him a dusty keeper, a Finnish club and Man United aren't in the hundreds, hundred biggest teams in Manchester, uh, which maybe gives a bit of an insight of how his debut went. But uh, when I looked into a bit more detail, sounds like he got his passing going, uh, was confident on the ball, joined in with the defence, kind of had an extra man and Ten Hag was happy, uh, but maybe was a bit rash uh, with the um, Bellingham goal, which I think is probably what has been sold to United with getting Onana. I don't think he. Yeah, I agree. I don't. I don't think he was that to to fault with the Bellingham goal. I I thought that Bellingham's touch was absolutely world class, and his finish was absolutely world class. I don't. If if Onana just stayed on the line for that, then and then Bellingham had that touch, he could take it out of his feet and then just slot it home. So. I just think that was more Bellingham's class, really, than Onana. Um, what I did read was that basically Onana played sort of 10, 15 yards ahead of where De Gea would play, which was obviously an indication of sort of Ten Hag's priorities this season. Last season with De Gea, I don't think, I actually don't think he, like Man United could could play the Ten Hag way that, that often. Um, so I actually think we'll see United playing much more front for obviously it'll be like keeper sweeper basically um so it'll be really interesting to see how he integrates and how he develops what I, what I am interested to see actually because obviously being on Twitter all the time is that first time he like sort of throws one in his own net or something I'm just interested to see how quickly the people who came for De Gea will come for Onana um and it'll, obviously Twitter's not real life so shouldn't sort of take um, pay too close attention, but it'll be interesting to see how quickly sort of fan favour for Anana turns. What What's the general consensus as Man United fans? Maybe maybe looking across Twitter as well, T Girl, about Onana. Is it really excited or is it wary? No, no. I would say obviously it's it's basically I would say ninety five percent excitement, and this guy is a game changer. And look at his performance in the Champions League final wasn't that so good and then a five percent is the ones who post like the the compilations of his mistakes I guess they're not they won't be Man United fans really and no. and, and his mistakes are howlers but then 
Allison has a, like throws some howlers in, doesn't he? Like Edison does the same. Like all goalkeepers who are told to take risks these days do tend to have a, like a proper howler in them. Yeah, um, if you're gonna if you're gonna have a keeper who comes and sweeps up towards the halfway line, stands in line with defence to start building up of attacks and stuff like that. Over the course of a season, you're going to get where he tries a Cruyff turn, gets robbed and it's rolled into an empty net. That's going to happen at some stage. But you just, you don't think, you don't get to see the amount of extra goals or the attacks that he's cutting out early by sweeping because it doesn't lead to anything. So you don't make a mental note of that if you're not a United fan. All you're wanting as an Arsenal fan is him to be have his pocket picked and it rolled into an empty net and then Twitter goes mad. Yeah, so yeah, another... I... Go on, CL, go on. I was just going to say, you mentioned Edison and Allison. That is what Onana needs to be for United. You, you, I mean, it's been 10 years now. At some point, I imagine you're looking to try and get somewhere near the title race again. And I think those two in particular have shown how important that number one position is. So, yes, they might have a howler in them, but they're also, 99.9% of the time, very, very good um, at everything they do. And Onana is going to have to be that for United if he's to be the one um, that is in goal for them as they look to <laughs> go somewhere, like I say, somewhere back near to the top of the Premier League, which seems to have been on the cusp of for the last 10 years now. But one step forward, two steps back. Um, but I'm not going to, I've already said my thing on Onana as a gut feeling, but I'm going to wait till I see him play properly in the Premier League before I jump on either side of the fence too far, because maybe he's going to be really, really good. Yeah, good. So, so just before we do jump to the Premier League, our Premier League predictions for the season, um, I just wanted to ask you boys, did you see the um, Yuri Tielemans, um cam that the Premier League posted? Basically, they strapped a camera and a microphone to his chest and there's like six minutes of footage of him sort of in the cent- in the centre of the park for Villa playing against Newcastle. And honestly... It looks I've, sped up, doesn't it? I've watched it and it is, it, it, it's the best indication of like how far away us mere mortals are to Premier League players because yeah. just it was... The, the pace of it was, was frightening. I don't know what you thought of it. Yeah, I, I just thought exactly the same. Like the the speed in which their brain, their football brain, and their body has to react to situations on the pitch. Like I said, when I watched it, I thought it was sped up. It looked like FIFA on fast forward or something like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've, we've seen more. I've never seen it before, and then suddenly in preseason, we had one on the ref the other day. I thought, I think, I think there's been a couple um, body cams that have been floating around now and it, it, it is seriously impressive and it gives you a bit more of a, an appreciation of how good these guys are um, but yeah it's good content isn't it hopefully we'll see more and more of it and get a better understanding about what these what these boys are doing and uh, yeah let's see it more regularly because I think it's um, good for everyone to see and what what's your boys thoughts on that as like a camera option? I don't know. You boys would have back in the day had Sky when you used to be able to press the red button. You could go and play a cam and just follow Ida Good Johnson around the pitch or whoever you wanted, really. But uh, if that was an option that was brought out on TV where you could just watch the game through the with with comment, but chest of Harland, would you would you do that? Or do you think it would be more of a watching highlights off the back of the game of the key moments opposed to a night yeah. option. Yeah, I don't think you'd watch the game through it, but say if Haaland or someone did something absolutely spectacular, it would be the body cam of that would be all over Twitter and all over your social medias, wouldn't it? And it'd be good for that sort of thing to get an insight as to what it looked like from the player's point of view. But I don't think, don't know what you think, Tiga. I'm not sure I'd watch a Manchester derby from the chest of Haaland. No, you you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't do that. But it, I wouldn't. I don't think it's for that. It's more for, like, basically instant replays. If they, if they had the footage for an instant replay of Haaland scoring an overhead kick, like that would just be absolutely insane content. Um, and yeah, like you said, it would it would fly about on social media and stuff like that. But but I, I just wonder how because I haven't actually seen the sort of the picture of the camera. So I wonder if it's just they've just strapped a GoPro there and if that's the case obviously it's not good they aren't going to do it in in the prem oh it, i envisaged it being like a button yeah that's like, what i mean really if cool. the technology is there and it's just a button and it doesn't affect the players 
sort of it doesn't affect anything to do with the players, then then you can see it coming in for the Prem and, and the Champions League and so forth. But at the minute, I think they would just do it's like almost like a pre-season tester or a pre-season um what do you say? Just a little sort of like teaser or something. But yeah, I don't I don't think the technology is there just yet for it. But no, like I said, I like I said before, it's absolutely it's absolutely class. It gives you a great insight into how quickly these these guys are moving, and yeah, it is very good. I I don't think uh, I, I can't see it being a GoPro. I can't. I don't think you can have where someone wraps it into someone's chest and suddenly it take, takes a dodgy touch off the GoPro. I don't imagine it's a a small button uh, on there. But I think potentially what the future will be. I take what was interesting as well. Kind of goes back to the Xavi point was the as you boys alluded to the pace of play in it I'd be so interested to see it in the Prem just to see if that's even quicker like have those boys in that level got the handbrake on slightly because it's pre-season in America uh or is it the case of most people where you go out you play a game of footy and you're not thinking this is pre-season you're just playing footy and you're at full tilt so hopefully or is it or is it Yori trying to impress us all like he would never move that quickly and like move the ball on that quick it'd be interesting to see the game from a normal point of view and see if Yuri looked a little bit like he was giving it a little bit more just to impress on the player cam because he knew it would be everywhere um but yeah I I think it's something that we'll see like content like you can't get enough of good content and making it better can you particularly as as a social media person Tigo so I'm sure it'll be absolutely everywhere and just a norm within Maybe not this season, but very soon. Yeah, I look forward to that. Um, right, so we should we jump on to our Premier League previews then, boys? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so um so Murph, go on, let's let's start with the top four. Um, and we'll go for you first. Right, okay. Uh I will save the shock factor for last. So I'm gonna go fourth to first. Uh fourth place. Arsenal. Have don't... you written these down? No, no. I know what my four. I know what my top four is. I know my. I know what I got. Okay, go on. Go on. Fourth place, Arsenal. Uh, think that they will have a good season. Uh, I think Arsenal fans have to accept that top four is a good season after so long out. I know they've signed Declan Rice, but uh, I don't think that they are going to have as good a season. And I think a couple of other teams will have better seasons than what they did. So got them in fourth. Third place, Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool, for me, uh, can't be any worse than they were last year. They're going to be better. Um, I think if they get the midfield signings that they need to, uh, I've already said on the last pod that I think Darwin Nunes is going to be goals. I think Luis Diaz is goals anyway. And Salah, who apparently had a bad year last year, but I think got 31 goals uh, between the Prem and Champs League, uh, will uh, will be doing his normal business. Second place, Manchester City. Yeah, uh, I'm not having them winning it this year. Uh, I think they're going to have uh, a, bit, a bit of a season where they've lost Gundogan. Looks like Carl Walker's going, so not them. And then first place, <laughs> you're going to laugh at me, Lauro. United. I'll tell you why. Transformative goalkeeper. Transformative. Mason Mount signed. Going to press all season long. We're going to sign another holding mid. Take a bit of the stress off of Casemiro. And we're going to sign a striker as well in Hodgland. So you've heard it here first. Premier League champions 23-24 Manchester United. Okay. okay. Th- thanks, Murph. Go on and let's go to you, Laura. I think the less said about that the better. Um, (laughs) I have gone with Arsenal in first place. No, you haven't. Well, I have. So, by the the way, just, just to clarify, Lauro, on our first podcast, you, you, your, your opening remarks were, um, I'm glad we're recording this because you guys have had so many shit takes in the past. And now we're doing our... And we've just heard Murph tell us that Manchester United are going to win the league. Yeah, and, and we've and just... now I'm going to tell you what I think, like I do at the start of every season, and you try and forget it when it comes in, and then we can look back on it, all right? So in first place, I've got Arsenal. Now, by no means am I saying it's going to be a walk in the park, but I think, obviously I've got City in second, 
I think City are going to struggle. And I know we've said this before when Pep's had amazing seasons. I think they're going to be struggle to be quite as good as they were last year. I think Gundogan is a big loss. I think that's a, that's an underrated player who scores very, very important goals um, for Manchester City. He was top goal scorer one year, but I'm just thinking about the FA Cup final. Lots of big games where they've needed a goal. He comes up with one, and that isn't a quality that's easy to replace. Kovacic is a good player, good signing, but that isn't like for like for me. Um, and it's fine margins at the top. And when you couple that with Arsenal, who I think have it in them to go a little bit better than they did. Like they were very good last year, fell away at the end. They recruited well. I think I've said before in the previous pods that Declan Rice is an amazing signing. Timber, good signing. I think their best players, Odegaard, Saka, Martinelli, if you just take those three, are all still very young. They're another year experienced. They're another year older. They're going to be, they're only going to get better. And I think they're a lot, lot bigger challengers to Manchester City than what a lot of people would think. And I'm just going to tip them. And I like Arteta as well. I think he's got that sort of maverick sort of essence about him where he's going to do something special at some point. And he almost did it last year. So I'm having them pip in City for the league. Um, I agree with Murph. I've got Liverpool in third. I think they showed signs towards the end of the last season that they were coming back to something like what we're used to with Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. I think Luis Diaz would be like a new signing. Looked really, really good before he got injured. Darwin Yunez is, is going to improve, isn't he? Uh, Yotta, another one who didn't have many games last season. I think there'll be um, a better force this year. And then Big Ange and Tottenham in fourth place. I think reverting to four at the back, if they keep Harry Kane... Madison in that 10 role, Kulazeski and Son off the sides. Richardson can only get better than he had last season. I'm going for Spurs in fourth. Can I just add, we said less said about my shout, the better. We've got the same second and third, and then I've got United to win it, and you've got Tottenham in the top four. Uh, I had United Arsenal, and you got Tottenham instead. I think that is a roguer shout than me, I would say. Okay, right. Um, I, I believe both your both your um, predictions have some good good qualities, <laughs> and they also have some terrible shouts in there. But obviously, they're predictions, so we'll have to wait and see until the end of the season. Um, for me personally, I do agree with you, Lauro, that I don't think City will be as good as last year um, in terms of points, and probably just there's probably going to be a little bit of a a treble hangover. They might not start as quickly, but City is City under Guardiola and they'll, they'll click by Christmas and probably win 15 on the bounce. And then, and then when, even if they aren't as good as they are last season, I still think they'll win the league by five or six points. So yeah, City to win the league. I've got Man United to be seconds, but that's probably with the United hat on. Um, just, just the same sort of points to Murph, really. Onana's going to completely change the way we play. Mount as well. He'll he, he allow us to play the big games in a much more efficient way Where because obviously he, we'll, we won't have the ball as much and Mount is great off the ball. Um, if we do get this Hoysland lad, he, he obviously needs to hit the ground running um, because our strikers are lacking. Um, but yeah, so I think we'll be second. I think Ten Hag's just a special manager. Um then in third, I've got Arsenal. I do believe and agree with most of the things you said, Laura. I just think this will be their first season back in a in the Champions League. Um, so they'll need a bigger squad than they have. I, I know they've made good additions. Declan Rice is obviously a great signing. We all agree there. Um, no matter how much he costs, he'll be absolutely amazing for the Gunners. But but yeah, I just think. The accumulation of the games and the fixtures, they, they they'll need to make one or two more signings for me if they are to um, challenge City. And then in fourth, I've got Liverpool. Um, obviously, will not not be nowhere near as bad as they were last year. Um, agree with both of you, Diaz and and Nunes. I think will have it like fitness wise. If they're fine, if they're fit all season, they'll have worldy seasons. Um, McAllister, Dominic Shablojlai, and then if they get in Romeo Lavia, completely transform their midfield. That's a good midfield. That's a really good midfield. Um, 
but they're like I just don't think they're quite there yet. So I think this season will be a bit more of a tra- like a transition season, and then next season they'll be hoping to challenge City. So yeah, so I've gone City top, United second, Arsenal third, and Liverpool fourth. Which so you you, you both think up. you both think Arsenal will be worse this year in terms of a Premier League finish than last year. But my, my, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, just mainly because of Champions League football. Last season, they didn't have... Well, they got knocked out of the Europa League pretty early. Um, and, yeah, I just think the Champions League, that they'll basically play their first team in Champions League every week. Whereas last year, they played the Resis in the, in the Europa League every week. So they were able to focus on the Prem. Whereas whereas those six extra games, obviously, in the last, last 16 games, I just think they'll struggle with the demands. Um, but then that's just my opinion. Yeah, I, I don't think that they'll necessarily be worse in regards to as a team. Their signings have been good. I'm just backing United and Liverpool to improve more and go past them. Uh, right, boys, very quickly then, uh, just to kind of round up the European places, can you run through fifth to eighth, uh, just run through the teams of what and what order you've got them in for that? Yeah, so I'll go I'll go first, Lauro. Um, fifth, I've gone Chelsea. I think Pochettino will do a good job with this young side um, and we will get we'll definitely get them going by, by the sort of latter end of the season. Sixth, Aston Villa. Seventh, Tottenham. And eighth, Newcastle. Villa, I just think, are cooking under Unai Emery and I think they'll do really well, made some good signings. Um, Tottenham, Ange Postacoglu notoriously starts slow in all of the clubs he's been at. So I think they'll start slow. Um, and then you've got Newcastle, eighth. Probably a little bit harsh, but I just think their focus will be on the Champions League. I just can't I just can't see them sort of dealing with the the sort of Saturday, Wednesday, as well as sort of the clubs who are always in the Champions League or always in Europa League. Okay. Um, in fifth place, I've got Man United. Um, no real striker, NAF keeper, going to rely on the same same experience heads to try and get them somewhere near it again. But I I, I, I do think it's close between them and Tottenham for fourth and fifth, but I, I like Big Ange, so I've gone Tottenham for Man United fifth. Newcastle sixth, not quite as good as last season, but as long as they stick with Eddie Howe, he's not going to lose many games. They've recruited well, they play, uh, they're organised, they're well drilled, they've got some good quality in there now. Um, so I expect them to go well again, just not quite as well as last season. Chelsea in seventh, vast improvement on last season, but it's going to take longer than that to go from 12th back to the Champions League or anywhere near the Champions League spots, in my opinion. And then I've got Villa, I think, for reasons you might have just said. They look like they recruited really well. They already look quite good on paper. I think Ollie Watkins looks like he's about to turn into a maybe a 20-goal striker to me. And Unai Emery looks like he knows what he's doing in the Premier League at that kind of club. So that rounds off my top eight. Good. Uh, I've got uh, Newcastle in fifth, but I will put a caveat on that. I think they will do something ridiculous and sack Eddie Howe uh, midway through the season when they're sort of battling in amongst fifth, sixth, seventh and looking like they're not going to get top four. They've suddenly got big European nights to come Newcastle. They've got the expectation of last week. They've got... uh, their fan base has doubled since Saudi Arabia took over. Um, old and new fans coming out of the woodwork. There's going to be a lot of pressure on him. And I think the owners will do something really, really rash and stupid. And then they will get into a cycle of trying to attract big named managers uh, at Newcastle. So, um, yeah, that's I've got them fifth. Chelsea sixth. Really like Poch. I think uh, if the stars had aligned back in the day, I'd love United to have got him. Um, they're doing well in pre-season as well looks like they've got a good atmosphere going I think their transfer outs have been smart their transfers in seem to be looking good Um, some of the lads they signed from last year uh, who were sharing a dressing room with 40 other blokes uh, are now got a a seat in the dressing room and I think they'll have a better season Uh, seventh I've got Tottenham again I don't know where Harry Kane's going to be at the start of the season if he's there they might finish above that, um, but I am going to predict that he does go and they need to sign someone. I've got them seventh. And then I've got Brighton in eighth as well. Uh, just beat Villa from that. Um, I really, really like uh, Deserbi at Brighton. 
Brighton. I like their players. Uh, I've seen in pre-season, they've picked up a couple of wins and they've just got, as seems to happen in Brighton, they'll suddenly give someone a debut and he scores a brace and no one's heard from it, of him before. Um, they've signed him for four, from four mil for something and he's suddenly worth 70. But yeah, uh, I'm going to go for Brighton to round up mine. Uh, and then I think now then we're going to jump down to the other end of the table, uh, three relegation sides. So, Laura, I wonder if you want to start on this one. Obviously, experience of it last year with Leeds. Um, Who have you got in the bottom three? Uh, Sheffield United. I think they'll be the weakest team by a long way on paper. doesn't matter if you're a good team in the Premier League. They're all really, really good teams, as Leeds found out last year. So did Leicester. Um Three have got to go down and I think they'll be the weakest team. Um, Luton, I think the signings that they're making, players like um, Ogbené, who's been brilliant and leading like at Rotherham for a few years. Um, Chong, who was good at Birmingham, good championship players. They've taken Mads Anderson from Barnsley as well, who was in League One, but looks like a, a real good top-end EFL player. It looks to me like they're signing players... Um, to do maybe something a little bit like what Burnley did 10 years ago under Dice. Just make have a go at staying up, but make sure you've got a really good squad when you go back down and maybe you can build and go again. Um, and then I've gone for Bournemouth. I think <laughs> it's not an easy space to fill that, but they've got a new manager who I know has got a big reputation, but I think he's going to try and play a style of football that you've got to be a very, very elite manager to get going straight away. And in the Premier League, you can get found out pretty quickly. And it's, um, like we've spoken about before, you don't get an awful lot of time in the Premier League. If you lose games, you'll be out. And I could see them ending up with, you know, some sort of seasoned veteran of a Sam Allardyce like Leeds did last season to try and get them out of a pickle towards the end. And it and it just won't happen. So they're my three. Yeah, I agree with you, actually, Laura. So I the third champions, the, the third relegation spot was difficult to choose. Um, the, I've got Luton going down bottom and Sheffield United going down 19th. I agree with everything you just said about Luton, but I just think, I think they'll have a, like a Blackpool type season, you know, where they were like really good for sort of like the first half of the season. They like, had some really good results and then they just, towards the end of the season, they started tailing off and then dropping and dropping and dropping and and then they got relegated. Um, but it's good to see them in the Prem and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing TF Chong with my United hat on, um, hopefully getting some game time in the Prem and impressing. Um, Sheffield United, obviously, if Indai leaves, which he's supposedly been on the verge of leaving for Marseille, um, and I don't know if you boys saw this actually, that one of the Sheffield United fans um, spotted on Facebook Marketplace that his wife put all of their furniture up for sale and basically said, like, we need to get rid of this ASAP because we're on the move. <laughs> so I think I think his wife's got a, got her heart set on um on going to Marseille or going elsewhere. Um so he'll probably leave. And obviously he was their 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 big big player last season. So it depends who they get. But yeah on on the 18th place, I've just gone Wolves. I just, you know, they're going through their financial issues. I know Lopetegui's a really good manager, but he yesterday or the day before released an interview with um, Gwilem Balagay, basically not doing, I wouldn't say he did a Scott Parker, but he basically insinuated that, that, that Wolves haven't sort of kept their end of the bargain up in terms of financially and supporting him in the transfer market. Um, so I've got a feeling that they'll start slow, struggle. He'll probably leave or get sacked. And I just think Wolves, for me, they've had a good run in the Prem, but I just can't see them staying up with their financial issues. Um, and then obviously, and then 17th, I've got Everton as well. Just, it was basically a flip between Everton and Wolves just for the simple fact that they're at the minute Everton sort of a basket case club and Wolves similar in terms of their financials yeah so I just think Wolves Wolves will get it cool I am fairly similar to be honest uh Luton I've got to finish bottom I think I think they've got to they've had to flip some of their fixtures haven't they because their ground won't be ready uh, yeah, so I think they got to start with some away games. They could get off to a dreadful start away from home. I think, I think uh, Brighton away to start with, and then I, I think they've had to maybe flip the Man United game. So they're going to, I think, struggle away from home. B 
could get off to a bad start and stay down there. Sheffield United as well got there and don't think that they've got the quality there um, to stay up. The only difference I've got is 18th. Uh, I've gone for Fulham. So Mitrovic is on the move. Um, not agree, Laura? No, I don't agree with that either. Oh, let, let me talk you through it and then you can both tell me why you disagree. I think that they are going to have that second season syndrome in the Prem. Their manager was on the, well, in talks to leave and then has decided to stay. So I think he'll feel that the club's doing him a favour. Uh, they're about to lose their, what would have been 20 goal a striker last year, Mitro before he got his ban. And I think their results dried up when he was banned. Uh, they've replaced him with Raul Jimenez, who just isn't the same player as he used to be. Uh, and I think all those factors will lead to their manager leaving at some point during the season, falling out with the board. They're not getting the goals that they need. I don't think Viniscus or Jimenez will uh, get have the firepower to score the goals they need to win games. Uh, and yeah, so I've got them down there to go down. Laura, your reaction? I'm speechless again. I, th- I think I, I just couldn't disagree more, to be honest with you. I think they've got a good manager, really good foundation of a good football team there. Play some good stuff. They're not all about big names. They've got some... Um, some good workhorse type players in there, sprinkled in with some quality. Obviously got a very good central midfielder in, in Polina. They've got Pereira, who's come on leaps and bounds. Um, I think they'll get goals. I think they'll be uh, mid-table at, at least. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll be honest, Murph. I think um, once we put that, put that chat on Twitter, there'll be some cottages coming for you. But I, I also think I've got them down as 12th in my prediction. So I just think they'll be fine. Um they just seem like a solid Premier League team. And like Jao Pelin, that Jao Pelinho looks like he's staying. I know he's just got injured, but he'll it'll probably be out for four or five weeks. He's a really big player for them. Um, they're just about to sign Calvin Bassey, 21 million or 21 good million player. euros. Good player, yeah, very good player. Um so yeah. Oh, yeah. That sorry, let me change my mind. Calvin Bassey signing for them. I hadn't seen that one. Right. I will tell you, I'll I'll say now that this time last year, if we were sat doing this, no one would have probably picked Leicester in their bottom three to go down. I think that I think Fulham will be down there. Um I'd like to know the odds on Man United to win the league and Fulham to go down. Do you know what? I was just actually thinking that and whether there's a little side wager we could have about who did you have an 18th? Bournemouth. Whether we could have some sort of double with I think United will finish above Arsenal and you think vice versa and Fulham to finish below Bournemouth. I'll try and work that one out and we'll on I, next episode have a bet on that. Okay. I'll, I I would lay everything on that. <laughs> on what you've just said there. <laughs> Arsenal to finish above United and, and Fulham to finish above Bournemouth. I'll take any odds. I'll tell you what we'll do then. We'll do if if one happens so if we get one each, then it's called a draw. But if both happen, the other person pays out the fee. Okay. Name, name the fee on that one. All right, I'll have a think. Uh, yeah, and then we'll agree to that. Just quickly before we sign off, uh, boys, one team that weren't mentioned there in the bottom three, and I know a team uh, that you watched quite closely last year, uh, Lauro Burnley. Uh, obviously, Vincent Company. Um, as manager, I think they start with uh, against City, don't they? Um, Burnley, um, you boys think comf- like comfortably staying up, skin of their teeth. I mean, uh, Tomo, you went up to 17th and they weren't in that, so I'm guessing both of you think quite a, a structured Prem team that will, will have a good season. They've got a very, very good manager who plays very, very good football. Um, they were one of the best teams that I've seen in the championship. In a long time, in the bracket with Bielsa's Leeds and um, Wolves. Who was their manager? The guy that went to Tottenham and got sacked after a few games. His Wolves. Oh, Nuno. Not very often. Huh? Nuno. Yeah, Nuno. Nuno's Wolves. That kind of elite championship team that I'd be more... They're the sort of team that I can imagine having that big burst of a season where they finish somewhere even in like the top half and then get relegated the year after, probably losing Binny Company, because he's going right to the very top, right to the very, very top, as as Harry Redknapp would say. Um, they've got lots of quality in there. They know exactly the kind of football that they want to play. They do it very, very well, um, and they're going to be tough to beat, and they're going to be tough to defend against. Yeah, I agree. I've, I've 
that that sort of like seventeenth to tenth sort of positions are so interchangeable with your Crystal Palaces, Fulham's, Everton's, Burnley's, and Bournemouth. So I I just think Burnley and Bournemouth have, have got themselves good managers, Burnley especially, and um, they'll just be a different. It'll be so interesting to watch Burnley in the Prem this season because we're so used to watching Burnley under Sean Dyche in the Prem. Yeah scrape through and obviously he did a great job with them but they weren't good to watch they got some good like they got some good results and blah blah and all of that but it would just be a completely different sort of kettle of fish this season so I'm I'm looking forward to watching them to be honest they'll be they'll be one of the teams I'm really looking forward to seeing obviously it's Friday night football Burnley Man City um first game of the season so I'll be watching that yeah exactly imagine that just great yeah um, I but, think I can, you can see this season. You just said about it. Then they're so different to the. It's not Burnley of the Sean Dice age. It's a completely different kind of football team that is now. I can just see them at some point. I don't know when they've got Everton, but just absolutely mauling Everton and Sean Dice coming under immense scrutiny after it for his team playing Sean Dice ball um, against companies free flow in Burnley. Because um, they are a joy to watch. I watched them live as well last season. They're really, really good. So yeah. I'll be. I, I don't. I don't have them anywhere near the bottom three. Just on a note, though, one of their better players has gone back to Chelsea. Ian Matson. Um, so yeah. obviously Can they I... need to. They need to replace him. They've got Nathan Redmond. I know. I mean, he's a solid Prem player, but he's. Yeah, but Nathan Nathan Redmond's not going to be starting for Burnley. Their best two players are um, Zorori on one wing and and Benson on the other. They're their two players with a lot of quality who've been linked with big clubs. Um, I think Savori was with, I don't want to get the wrong country, but maybe Monaco, um, Morocco in the World Cup. Benson scored a lot of goals for them last season. They've got loads of wingers. Um, so I'm not sure Redmond's getting anywhere near. They've got like six or seven wingers, Burnley. Um, but they, they have got quality. Um, and like I said, I can't speak highly enough of them. Just just on uh, Matson, um, again, watching some of the the highlights of pre-season, playing really well for Chelsea. So again, thinking that I'm uh, ahead of the curve and a wizard on FPL went into went to add him to my team and price him up. Uh, still yet to be added to the game. Um, I don't know whether they're deciding on his position, whether he's a defender, midfielder, forward. Um, I know he's playing a lot more forward, but can we get him added to the game at least, please? He's a brilliant left-back, Ian Matson, but apparently Potts really likes him. And I heard that one of my good friends who I work with is a big Burnley fan. So he's been keeping an eye on him and apparently played like right wing in pre-season. But he's, he's, a, he's a good wide player, he matched. And right from the very first game, I think he scored the goal against Huddersfield to start the campaign last year in the Championship. Very, very good um, left back, but maybe one that can go on a bit like, I don't know, Gareth Bell and go on and play further forward and get lots of goals. He's he's a good player to watch. Um but, you know, they've got Kukurea and Chilwell, haven't they, at Chelsea? So it's going to be tough to play left-back for them. Yeah, um, I've, I've, be interested to see where he ends up. Yeah, I think he'll end up going on loan somewhere. And so maybe, maybe Burnley can get it, like get him on loan if if they, um, if they Chelsea don't like need him. Because Chelsea have still got loads of players, even though they've sold about 10. Um, but yeah, they'll be, good to, they'll be good to watch. Anything to add then, boys, before we wrap up? Um, I think probably anyone who has done their predictions uh and other people doing predictions normally do a top goal scorer uh for it i think we've purposely left that part out i think Rashford. yeah <laughs> all, all agreed um it will be the best scandinavian striker in the world right yeah yeah it will be rasmus hoyland rasmus hoyland <laughs> love it Right, that's all we got time for, guys. Uh, we'll be back next week. Going to look at the EFL uh, predictions like we've done today with the Prem in more detail as the EFL gets started. Uh, any transfer news that's coming and any other major stories across football. Speak to you all soon.